If you've never been to church before, you might have thought we just sing for a bit and then watch a movie. Um, <laughs> do me a favor and imagine in your mind, uh, like, because we all have this in our mind, of what it's going to be like uh, when you meet God. Or if you were to meet God, what is it like? And, and for a lot of us, it's Morgan Freeman, right? Uh, for, for some of you, it's, if it's, an, it's another old guy. Uh, but he's always wearing white, right? And surprisingly black shoes, but okay. But he's always wearing white. And no one else noticed that but me. I watched that clip a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> but and it's, all, it's, it's a big white room, isn't it, too? And there's like nothing in the room. It's just you and God and bright lights. And you're not sure where the walls are or how big this room is. We have this, like, in our culture, if we were to say, draw a picture of when you meet God, we don't probably draw a picture that was, like, somewhat symbol, some, somewhat similar, right? Like a big uh, royal kind of deal that's really humbling for us. And it'd be a lot like, like meeting someone that's so overwhelming that you can't, like, you, you just can't get the word. So you just, uh, probably you have someone like a, an athlete or a musician or a celebrity or a Kardashian that you would look up to so much that when you, if you were to meet them, you just wouldn't have any words to say. I wanted to include everyone there, but, uh, <laughs> but you, would, you wouldn't have like any words. You would just be like, this is just being in your presence is overwhelming. And God is kind of that in an ex- extreme, like extreme extrapolation of that, where, you, where we think, being in God's presence uh, like, would just be overwhelming. And, and you would think if God wanted us to know him, that would be a great way to do it, right? Like at some point in our lives, we have an appointment or some sort of you know, thing that happens, like it happened to Jim Carrey, and this is uh, Bruce Almighty, the movie, if you've ever seen that, really theological movie. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, you just kind of go through this and, and you think we should have this appointment with God where you just get to see God face to face. And then, and then everything would be different. And then everything would change, right? Like we would, we would know that God exists because I've, I've been in that, that room with him. Or, uh, the, why doesn't God reveal himself to us in this way? And in fact, like, there has to be a question at some point, and this is rather philosophical, of, of why God set up creation the way he set up creation. It's kind of like God made all of these things, and we have all these things that distract us from God, right? Like we uh, have all this beauty around us, especially living where we live, but even people live in like cities and stuff, the, the buildings that are built and the systems that are built and the infrastructure, it's, it's incredible. And the things that people are able to do, and, and even just people in general, it's an incredible experience to see the things that people are able to do creatively, musically, uh, artistically, athletically, relationally. It's incredible. And so when we wonder about why God set things up the way he did, it would have been a lot more obvious for us if God made all of creation one big white room. And they were all kind of in this big white room, and Morgan Freeman's there, and we realize, oh, that there's God, there we go. And some of us think that's what heaven's going to be like, right? Like someday, when you're done here, you go to this big white room, and there's God, 
and then you do eternity in this big white room, right? And, but you maybe move around cloud to cloud, and there's golden roads or something. It's kind of a Wizard of Oz, heaven kind of thing that you've got going on. But in that kind of a situation, like if you met God the way that Jim Carrey met God uh, in this movie, you would see uh, who God is, but you wouldn't know who God is. You wouldn't be having a relationship with God. And maybe even you could get to the point where you realize, like, there's something different about him than me, and so I need to be on his good side, because I think there is something to that. I think there's some power in being on his good side. Uh, so we wouldn't really know necessarily our exact need for God, but we would have this concept of, um, of God's existence, maybe his holiness, maybe his brightness, uh, and, and his resemblance to Morgan Freeman. Um, but when, when God made everything, he made it all so distracting. And when we see like the things in our world and, and uh, God creates this universe, but when the scripture talks about the universe, it actually talks about God made everything as a display of, of who he was and what he is like. So God made everything in a very, like, a very diverse way, a huge variety in the different things that are created from stars to tadpoles to all the to mountains to monkeys, right? Like those are all like these things that God made are all so radically different and radically creative that God tells us about himself through our experience of the universe, even through our experience of our neighborhood, through our experience of rain and sunshine and sunsets and oh, Monday morning sunrises. <laughs> but there is something to this, because God seems to have, instead of making himself obvious, he seems to have decided to hide himself, but hide himself in plain sight, to hide himself in front of everyone. And this hiding yourself in plain sight becomes the basis for the love relationship that God has with us. If you can remember back uh, to when you were young, we're all much older than this age now. Maybe middle school is like this. But if you felt a, like a, an attraction to a person, you would try to hide yourself in their plain sight. Right? You would try to have your paths intersect just by chance. And some of us were good at this, some of us were bad, right? If you were young and, you know, the really young kids, and you'll go up and, and they'll smack the other person, right? And be like, notice me, right? Like this, you don't do that anymore. But when, you know, in the 70s, it was different. But, uh, <laughs> but there's, like, there, there's this weirdness to this, I need you to notice me, but I need you to not notice that I need you to notice me-ness. Uh, that happens in the initial beginnings of relationships. And that is, I'm not saying God comes up and smacks us, but sometimes that would be helpful. <laughs> but there is this intersection that we desire if we desire to have a relationship with someone. And so all of creation becomes the basis for this love relationship that we have with God. 
And then in creation, God actually, in the strangest of all things, God exists, we believe that God exists in a trinity, meaning, and this is a, a mystery that we'll never be able to understand, and the Bible says that, you won't be able to understand it, but God is one uh, being, and God is three persons existing fully as one being. And so we have God the Father expressed as in the Bible, God the Son expressed in the Bible, and God the Holy Spirit expressed in the Bible. And all three are fully 100% God, yet they add up those 300% to a single 100% of God. That doesn't make any sense, and God goes, well, it's not my job to make sense to you. <laughs> it's my job to, for, for, to be worshipped by you. And so let's do that. And so when, we, when we're talking about God, uh, God creates his eternally existent son as a human being. The Gospel of John in the beginning says, like, Jesus put on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. In the old translations, it actually says he, like, uh, pitched a tent and camped where we were camping. Uh, like, Jesus became a part of what we are. And so God creates everything, and then him himself becomes a part of that creation. Let me do a timeout. There's a truck out there. It's Aloha Sunday, and if I forget to say this, it'll be bad. Uh, but all your kids who are back there in middle school and high school, and if you're a middle schooler that didn't go back there, this is the time you pretend to go to the bathroom but really go to middle school class. Uh, but there's a snow cone machine that's going to be set up out there, and all your kids will get a ticket to get a free snow cone, all right? Y'all don't get a ticket. Uh, <laughs> but we encourage you to go and buy a snow cone from the snow cone guy after church. That's the whole Aloha thing. Does that make sense? Okay. So this sermon's going to go fast, all right? No questions at the end. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but I don't want to forget that. Okay, so back to where we were. Um, Jesus enters into creation. God becomes a part of the creative. We only have one person leaving to go to middle school. All right, anybody else? <laughs> if, if you want, like, maybe you're 30 or 40, you could probably pass for a middle schooler, right? Like, on TV, they're all 30 or 40, but... Um, so when, <laughs> I don't think they were a middle schooler, I just really wanted to do that. Um, <laughs> when God enters creation, God actually becomes a part of the thing that he has made to reveal who he is. The Bible says it this way, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So the Old Testament, in the beginning, like the first two-thirds of your Bible, are telling the story of God and his relationship with his people that goes and goes and goes, and it culminates or is fulfilled in the existence of Jesus as a human being who is fully God and fully human, existing among us as the fulfillment of everything that creation was pointing to. So Jesus reveals God through the way he lived, but then he also reveals God through the things that he taught. Jesus, while he was on earth, was, in his culture, would be called like a teacher, or they would, because he was Jewish, he'd be called a, a rabbi. And maybe today we would call him a pastor or a preacher. But he was a storyteller that spoke to people. And Jesus used, well, Jesus would have spoke Hebrew, so he would have used a word, it's M-A-S-H-A-L, Mashal. And that Michelle, that word Michelle means it's like, or it's similar to, or something like this. And we in our Bible call it a parable. 
And we have parables like Aesop's fables or like moralistic stories uh, that we use, but Jesus actually used parables to show the world and show the people that were listening to him who God is and what God is like. And so this summer, and today we're going to kind of introduce that as a concept, but this summer, uh, we're actually next week moving to the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, They're going to be renovating the school over the summer, so we'll be back here in the fall, uh, but we're going to spend the summer at the Boys and Girls Club uh, meeting down there. And this summer, each week, we're going to go through a different parable uh, that Jesus taught. And Jesus loved these stories. Uh, There's actually evidence in the Bible um, where Jesus... he like loved even the stories that he didn't make up himself. There were common parables that we have in other historical resources, pardon me, that Jesus actually like refers to as he's talking. Like he, he doesn't say, I want to tell you the story that someone else wrote, but he tells you like the punchline or pulls out the story, like how I make a joke about the Kardashians, Jesus would do the same thing. Jesus would pull these things out because he enjoyed the stories that defined who the people were that he was talking to. And so Jesus reveals who God is through these stories, through these parables, hence the once upon a parable for the summer. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you might be familiar with the Bible, and this might be old hat for you, but I'm going to give you just like 30 seconds of background information. A parable... Uh, is a story that takes something that is unknown and uses the things that are known in order to reveal a discovery about the thing that is unknown. We do this all the time in our conversation. If there's something that someone's struggling to understand, you'll say, it's just like this. And you take this thing, this example of something that you have in common, and you explain it over here. Your car is broken. Well, it's just like this when this happens. This is what's happening inside of your car, right? Or your sports team didn't win. Well, it's just like this thing over here, and it applies to your sports team not winning. Uh, Or personal issues or relationship issues. You will say, we don't understand what's happening, but we both understand this thing. Let's apply it over here. This is what a parable is. This is what Jesus does to explain uh, who God is. And so a parable then also brings the listener from a place of unknowing into a new realm of discovery. Like you didn't understand what was going on. Jesus tells a story. Now you do understand what's going on. And most of that time, bringing you into that new realm of discovery actually demands a decision of you. Like Jesus will say, you don't understand what God is like. Here's what God is like. And then you have to decide what you're going to do with that information. And maybe it's not a decision like, do I turn right or turn left, or do I uh, take this job or take that job, or do I, you know, maybe not a life-altering decision, but it's a change in the way that you function in the world, the way that you relate to the world around you. It requires you to do something with that information. Your decision might be to ignore the information. Your decision might be, well, I don't like that about God, or I don't like that part about God, so let's skip that and never go back to that. It's like when you go home for Thanksgiving and you don't talk about politics. I don't want to have that conversation. I'm going to avoid it, right? Uh, It's just the difference in that is if you're having a Thanksgiving with God, he's right about his politics. So 
And, and me and God have the same politics, so it's, it's remarkable. I'm sure some of you have the same experience. Um, <laughs> I want to read you a story. Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the sower. I'm not going to tell you what that parable is. Uh, I actually think oh, we're going to preach on it in the coming weeks. But immediately after that, his disciples, uh, who are these 12 guys who kind of follow Jesus around, and then there were some those are like the apostles, the primary disciples, and then there was large groups of other people who were closer to the inner circle with Jesus, came up to Jesus and they asked him a question. It's in Matthew chapter 13, which is a story of Jesus' life. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to, to the people in parables? And this is Jesus. Jesus is the he. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the, prophet, uh, the, sorry, the prophecy of Isaiah, which is again, Old Testament. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, for crying out loud, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. It's an interesting concept that Jesus actually brings up here. Why do you speak in parables? And I think it also goes all the way back to the question of why does God hide in his creation? If all creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, the Bible says, why is that? Why doesn't God have a set of billboards up that says, I am glorious, and internet ads, so that we understand, right? Why does God do things the way he does them? And Jesus actually responds to this question and says, there are secrets that have been given to you that haven't been given to them. Now, if you grew up in a tradition where uh, the Christians are better than the not-Christians, uh, this becomes a complicated verse. Because this verse was taken and twisted just slightly to say, you understand because you're better than them. And they don't understand. And the they is the people who don't go to... Well, I would first say not Christians, but then slowly you'd start to believe the people that don't go, don't go to your particular church, right? With your particular strain, uh, like let's say the Baptists across the street. <laughs> and you would take this uh, twist of scripture, at the end I'm going to show why we're friends with the Baptists, <laughs> but you would take this scripture and twist it just slightly and not even always on purpose to say like we understand Jesus because Jesus has revealed himself to us, because we are preferred by Jesus. And so there must be something special about us that Jesus likes more than them. This is the exact same mistake that the nation of Israel made in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Because God decided to use them to reveal himself to all creation, to the whole world. And then they thought, well, God must prefer us. God must like us better. If I'm the best example of who God is, 
then I must be a lot like God. Honestly, this is why they killed Jesus. Jesus came to earth and wasn't like them. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand, Jesus. We like God. We're like God. I said that in rap vernacular. We are like God. Not we like God. If you're not rapish, you wouldn't understand that. We like God is the cool way to say that. Neither one of my kids are here, so that was a waste. All right. <laughs> They're still uncool. But, but when, we, when they would say, we are like God, because they did not listen to rap music at all, we are like God, and the Jesus, what you are doing is not like us, and therefore, God definitely does not like what you are doing. They had the same experience that I joked about a second ago. I have a certain view of politics, and God prefers me, so this must be God's view. And I have a certain view of many things in the world, and because I'm special and preferred, it must be God's view. And you can take just the, like, and you would really just take the beginning of that and say, well, the problem with them is that their hearts are hard, and their ears don't hear, and their eyes don't see. And God could bring them into a white room with a really bright and stand there like Morgan Freeman and say, I am God. And, but that isn't what God has done because he prefers us. I actually think that is like one of the most dangerous twists of Scripture that happens in our uh, it's happening less and less in our culture because less and less of our world or that we experience is a Christian world. If you go back 50, 60, 70, 80 years, then there was a large majority of people who would claim mem membership of a certain denomination or a certain church, and nowadays that just isn't your experience. And so Christians no longer can spend their energy fighting over small understandings of Scripture, and we actually have to do the things that Jesus said. So while everybody's saying, oh, culture is getting bad, it's terrible, it's actually kind of uh, beneficial in some ways for clarity and understanding who Jesus is. So we don't curse the culture in that. We celebrate the opportunity to love the culture. So when Jesus reveals himself in parables, he does not say, I've revealed it to you, disciples, because you're better than all of those people. In fact, that's inconsistent with all of the things that Jesus taught the disciples. When one time they came up to him, a couple of the brothers who were disciples said, came up and said, hey, we would just like to, you know, put it out there that when we're all sitting, you know, in our thrones in heaven, that it would be cool if we were in like a position of prominence. Not because like, you know, not because we deserve it, but because we're better than the other ones, all right? <laughs> Like it, 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 everybody's graduating, but if you're looking for a valedictorian, it's probably us. And, and, and Jesus actually explains to them that the way that Jesus works is the person who just barely squeaked by. Like if you were at graduation, you know there's a kid who went by and he was smiling because he couldn't believe it, right? <laughs> Like there's a lot of them smiling because they're like, I did this. And some are like, I did this. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Jesus is like, that kid, the surprised kid, is the kid that I can do things. Like I love the valedictorians and I can do things with them. But wait till you see what I do with the surprise kid. He actually says, I chose Israel in the Old Testament because they were so puny and so useless and so like wandering. And like I chose them when they weren't a nation, when they were nothing. And then I rescued them when they were slaves. 
for crying out loud, they weren't even, didn't have their own land. And I was like, I'm going to take this people, these people who are barely a country. Like they're a country without even a place. And I'm going to show the world who I am through these people. And then today, Jesus comes to earth and he chooses disciples, all of whom were not good enough to be the rabbi under their system. And then he chooses the Christians who follow him. And if you follow him and you make the mistake of thinking God has revealed himself to me in a way that I responded so that I put my full faith and trust in Jesus and you start to think that's because I'm better, then you've twisted the whole scripture around. And Jesus actually says, you're just blessed because I've decided to explain this in a way that you can understand. Honestly, he could have brought you into a white room. He could have written theological textbooks and handed them to you. Frankly, you couldn't have handled it. You couldn't have handled the white room. I actually cut this scene off because right after that scene ends, if you're familiar with the movie, Jim Carrey gets really mad at God. And I was like, well, I don't want to go there right now. Uh, but but there is, like, there's this interaction that we think, like we think today, if Jesus showed up and walked in with like a sash and some sandals on, then we would all put our full faith and trust in Jesus. And what that is, is secretly thinking we're better and smarter than the people who were on earth when Jesus was on earth. What we would actually do when Jesus walked in is say, Jesus, those are some good ideas, kind of radical. We can't grow a church with those ideas, all right? So Jesus, we appreciate you, but we're going to stick with Pastor James because he's like you, but not, not so like you. Francis Chan, who's one of my favorite pastors and favorite authors, was famous for saying that if Jesus had a church in my town, my church would be bigger. If Jesus had a church in this town, our church would be bigger. Because Jesus, if you watch him when he was on earth, didn't have very much time for people who were faking it. And the problem with Jesus is he knows what your heart is like feeling and he knows what your mind is thinking. Pastor James doesn't. He genuinely has no idea what you're thinking sometimes. <laughs> and you kind of like that. <laughs> right? I kind of like that you don't know what I'm talking about half the time, right? Like, you're just kind of, we have this relationship. But if Jesus was here, he would go through and be like, all right, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're faking it. You're good, you're good, you're good, you need to get it together, right? Like, I'm trying not to point at people. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, this isn't conviction time, but, because uh, I would have started over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when we think that Jesus would, if Jesus revealed himself in the way that we think he should have, that we would have a love relationship with Jesus, the, actually the opposite is true. I actually, I actually think this is important to understand, that Jesus is not, like God is not hiding in plain sight um, to hide from you, to keep away from you. But I think God hides in plain sight in order for you to define what the relationship is. Like, this is what I think love is. There's a thing that's not love that is uh, overwhelming and overbearing. This is what would it be if God showed up here every day or God forced you into a white room and forced you to reckon with his existence. It'd be overwhelming. You wouldn't love him. You'd fear him but not love him. And then on the other side, there's this God would be, if God was hiding and was unfindable. And maybe we can know some things about God, but we would never know the fullness of God. 
Like, uh, this is what the Bible says, having the Holy Spirit indwell you is, is the fullness of God. And if God was hiding so that we never knew him fully, if God was somehow away from us and not present with us, then, that, then that's not love either. And so God allows us to live in this tension in between those two things where we define what the relationship is. This is the vulnerability of God loving us. He puts himself in our hands. It's from one, like, if God wants to be in charge, this is the worst idea. But this is how you experience love. This is why those, like, infantile efforts at uh, gaining affection when you were young and you would do weird things, that's why they all fall apart because what love actually is, is I'm going to put myself out here in a vulnerable way and allow you to do what you would want to do with that. That's because I love you. I'm going to allow you to be the person who can bring me the most joy, who can bring me the most healing, but at the risk of making you also the person who can bring me the most pain and the most suffering. And we've all seen this and experienced this. We've all been uh, on the giving and receiving end of these things at different levels. Sometimes purposely, sometimes not purposely. Sometimes in a healthy way, in a helpful way, sometimes not. But when God creates this relationship with us, he actually has created an invitation to live in the love that he has for you through your return of love for God. This is what this whole summer is going to be about. We're going to have people tell stories that Jesus told and explain them, and your experience will be like knowing the character and the nature and the love of God in such a way that causes you to make decisions about him. I know in the summertime, schedules get crazy, right? Like there is, um, you might not care about this, but on any given Sunday, like during the school year, half our church is gone. There's, for real, like our, our roles are twice what is in this room. Uh, and we need it to be like that way because there are not that many chairs at NAMS. Uh, but that's, that's just life. Life is life. In the summertime, it goes to two-thirds, right? And it's just kind of hectic. And that's not like, you might be like, Pastor James is guilting you. I'm not. Like, I, we've created a live stream because we want to be a part of your life, uh, and, and, and we believe in that, right? Like, so when you're away uh, because of vacation or camping, like, there's going to be a couple weeks I'm away, right? And so if you feel guilty about being away, just be away those weeks, right? Now, <laughs> now you should come those weeks. James is gone. Who knows what's going to happen? But, um, <laughs> but when... When we're uh, going through the summer, each sermon will stand by itself. We're actually going to have multiple people speaking and sharing during the summer. And we're going to talk about these stories that Jesus shared because Jesus sharing these stories reveals the fullness of who God is. And the fullness of who God is is that invitation to a love relationship where God takes everything that he is and vulnerably puts it in your court and says, what would you like to do with this? And there are people that I love who reject God. And what does God feel in that rejection? If God is a guy in a white room, he feels angry. He feels antagonistic. He feels like the smiter that will smite people. But if God is who Jesus is, 
then that rejection hurts. Jesus felt emotional pain over his rejection. Before he felt physical pain, he was crying tears over his rejection. So we put in the bulletin, this is what we want you to do. Uh, on the second page, there's going to be, you can grab this if you want, next steps every week. Because each parable calls us to a decision. And we want to do something fun to start. And you can do this all summer if you want. But it's going to be hot this week, right? And your kids are going to be getting out of school and you're going to be panicking, so you're going to go to the beach and stuff. But since God uses all creation to reveal himself to us, we want you this week to find something in creation that reminds you of God's uh, nature and, and take a picture of it, and snap a picture of it. We want you to tag Albany Grove if you use the Insta or you use the Facebook or you, you use the Snappy Chat. <laughs> I'm not, or you're on TikTok, right? The cool kids are there. I don't understand what's happening there. <laughs> but if you're... Half of the parents here just went, tick what? Tick what? I need to, <laughs> I need to know what my kid is doing, right? <laughs> so, you, <laughs> okay, so you, we want you to tag it and hashtag it. And we want to be able to share those things because... If God hid himself in plain sight, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to see and experience God over and over and over and over again. And some of you will have eyes that can see it and ears that can hear it, and some of us won't. Sometimes we get so busy and our hearts get so hard, just get the things done, get moving, that we don't notice God displaying himself to us over and over and over and over again. And sometimes in the silliest things, in the great taste, in the way that a machine works perfectly, in the way that when you run or exercise, like it actually, like you run and, and it's running, or you drive a car and it actually works. Like most of you will drive home today and your car will work all the way home, which is actually remarkable. I know that's not always your experience, but think back to when you had a car where that was remarkable. You'll have these experiences and you start to get used to them and then you're not able to notice how incredible God's love for you is. And so we want to invite you into a summer of noticing God all around you. Let's pray together. Let's stand and we'll pray together. God, we uh, confess that there are times in our life when we are moving at such a pace that we don't notice your love. There are times in our life, honestly, when we're moving at such a pace that we don't notice the love of even just the people around us. And so there are times when we aren't able to just slow down and process the fact that it's incredible the things that we are doing, the capabilities that we have, the creative potential that you've put inside of us, the relational joy that we get to experience. It's incredible the challenges the challenges that you give us to overcome that glorify yourself, that force our dependence on you, where even our weaknesses become gifts because they turn our eyes back towards you and our need for you. Even our struggles become gifts. And so, Lord, we want to pray that you would slow us down to the point where we're able to see you. Don't let our hearts get hard. Don't let our eyes close. Don't let our ears not hear or understand. Bring us into that love relationship with you 
Because Jesus, you are the fulfillment of all that God is. And so we would pray to be close to Jesus so that we would know God. Amen.